They say markets work a certain way. They say if you want high returns, you have to accept higher risks. Cox Automotive says, you take the upside, we'll take the risk. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the all-new way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Visit TakeTheUpside.com to learn more. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, October sales look good for Toyota, Hyundai, and Kia. The UAW has its eye on GM's battery joint venture, and Tesla sends Chinese workers to California to boost production. Plus, a conversation with Penske Automotive Group President Rob Koenig from the Automotive News Retail Forum in Chicago. As the cycle changes, we are just in a terrific position to really capitalize on opportunities that were probably a little too rich for us in the last couple of years. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. U.S. vehicle sales increased almost 7% at Hyundai last month, with retail deliveries jumping 11%. With inventories still tight, the Korean automaker has prioritized more profitable retail sales, with less than half a percent of this year's sales going to fleet customers. Hyundai said it ended October with more than 31,000 cars and light trucks in inventory. That's up about 6,000 from the end of September. The company's affiliate, Kia, reported a 12% volume increase. The automaker said its sales of more than 58,000 vehicles set an October record, while EV sales doubled. But the big winner looks to be Toyota, with a second straight month of double-digit U.S. sales increases. Toyota's starting to get its groove back despite the persistent production cuts and lack of inventory. Volume rose 28%, powered by a 34% increase at its namesake brand, led by top sellers such as the Camry, RAV4, and Tacoma. Toyota said it ended October with just a 20-day supply of vehicles. While Toyota sales are rebounding, the automaker is still getting slammed by higher costs and microchip shortages that cut into profits. Because of that, it plans to increase sticker prices for U.S. customers to help bolster earnings. Executives warn of the looming adjustments saying they're needed to offset surging input costs that drove the Japanese juggernauts North American business to an operating loss in the latest quarter. Toyota is also eyeing price increases in Europe, which also fell to a regional quarterly loss. Toyota struggled to absorb a worldwide cost surge exceeding $2 billion in the July to September period. Despite the 32% drop in net income, the world's largest automaker still reported a $3 billion net profit. The United Auto Workers says it's seeking an election to represent workers at a General Motors and LG Energy battery cell joint venture in Ohio. That's after the companies refused to recognize the union's attempt at a card check election. The UAW said it has filed a petition with the National Labor Relations Board on behalf of about 900 workers at Ultium Cells after a majority of those workers had signed cards authorizing the union to represent them. UAW President Ray Curry said in a statement that GM and LG Energy have, quote, decided to ignore democracy and delay the recognition process. And Tesla is sending workers from its Chinese plant to its California factory in a bid to boost production at the U.S. facility. People familiar with the plan say the luxury EV maker is sending engineers and production staff from its recently upgraded Shanghai factory to its plant in Fremont, California, particularly automation and control engineers. They'll assist in efforts to increase output at Fremont. About 200 people will head to California starting as soon as this month on assignments that will last at least three months. 
And those are today's headlines. Jamie, here's the big question. How much are Toyota customers willing to bear these price hikes? It's going to be interesting. Probably a little. Toyota's always had a great reputation for durability and quality, fuel economy as well. So they've always kind of priced at a premium relative to other mainstream brands. And everyone knows prices are going up, so they probably would pay a little more. But no one wants to be paying $40,000 for a Camry. It's a mainstream vehicle and it's a mainstream brand. So they definitely have a ceiling on what they can do. Well, coming up, we'll hear a conversation with Penske Automotive Group President Rob Koenig. That's next on Daily Drive. Some dealers say it's not worth taking a trade they won't retail. They say if it doesn't fit their brand, they'd rather pass. Cox Automotive says now you can easily see the profit in any trade and never risk losing that new customer. Introducing Upside by Cox Automotive, the only way to wholesale that turns that old wisdom upside down. Every vehicle you place in the Upside digital auction is backed by our guaranteed minimum price, so you never risk a loss. And when a vehicle sells for more than our guarantee, you keep the lion's share of the upside. It's a one-of-a-kind auction that gives you an alternative to accepting wholesale losses. And it's built on the principles of the country's top performing wholesale sellers, so your vehicles have the best possible chance to get bids and get bought. Dealers taking advantage of Upside's game-changing policies are already saying yes to more trades and making more money, all while never risking a loss. Sound too good to be true? Visit TakeTheUpside.com now to learn more. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Penske Automotive Group feels confident in its position heading into an uncertain economic future. The retail giant's net income slipped in the third quarter, but it also posted record revenue. Penske president Rob Koenig says the company is eyeing some big moves that it wouldn't have been able or willing to make in recent years. He spoke with automotive news publisher Casey Crane at our retail forum in Chicago. Here's a piece of their conversation. I think it's safe to say, like many dealers, Penske's had one of the best runs here for the last two years, one of the best or the best uh, in its history. When you guys look at um, acquisitions, what are you thinking? So, you know, M&A for us, uh, we, we've always, from day one, we've always said um, we will always be opportunistic in terms of M&A when it comes up, not, not necessarily going to hunt for it, but when, it, when those opportunities come up, um, and it fits what we're doing, we'll do it. We've acquired this year about a billion three in revenue, um, which is, is a big number, but it, you know, when you compare it to some, some of the other um, of our peers, it really is, it's, it's, not, as, you know, it's not as remarkable. Um, but we have a big sandbox too, you know, when you think about it. We have our um, US franchise stores, we have the car shop locations, we have our UK and European franchise stores, and then we have our truck business, commercial vehicle business here in the United States and the distribution business in Australia. And so our view on that is, is that um, we're happy to grow our business in any one of those. <laughs> you know, and, and it's a matter of really what is the, what's the best use of capital, what's the best opportunity to grow, and what makes the most sense for the business. And lately, you know, we've put a lot more investment on the commercial vehicle side because the multiples have historically been lower and the capex required is a lot less than what is required on the franchise side. But we've been active in the franchise side as well. So I think, um, I think we continue to look at it. I mean, you know, we can talk about the um, potential recession and what the effect that has in a little bit, but, but, you know, where interest rates are and some of the debt that some dealers may have may present some opportunities. And, you know, we worked on delivering our balance sheet where our leverage is now less than one times, and we're just in a great position to really capitalize as opportunities come up. 
And, and on the reverse side, were there ever any offers where with you know, Blue Sky being as high as it is, you guys actually had to think about divesting of anything? You're making too much money, doesn't matter. No, yeah, I think, I think that's right. No, I, think, <laughs> I, I said that, he didn't yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah, I think the, um, you know, I think we're in the business to own and operate dealerships, not to sort of sell profit dealerships. Now, what we've done is we've sort of aligned our businesses from time to time, which cost some divestitures. For example, we had um, two Lexus stores in the Northeast, and we were at our cap at Lexus. Two Lexus stores became available in Austin, which was a much stronger and you know much bigger potential, we thought, so we sold those two, and that, that made a lot of good sense. We're in the process of selling a store right now uh, because we don't have a big presence in that city, and it's probably better that we move on. But, but th those are the kind of motivating reasons why we sell the, the amount of blue sky for us, we're just in it for the long run. It's, not, it's a cycle, yeah, right? It's a cycle, yeah. So you mentioned your sandbox, uh, US, UK, Australia. Mm -hmm. It's a long flight. It is. Yeah. <laughs> um, what other uses do you have for capital deployment right now? Yeah. Well, I, again, I think, I think acquisitions would be an ability to grow our business in a way that makes a lot of good sense. Um, we've, like I said, we've substantially delivered our balance sheet. And it, again, if you compare us to our peers and you look at what we've done, and I'm so excited about that because as the cycle changes, we are just in a terrific position to really capitalize on opportunities that were probably a little too rich for us in the last couple of years. So that, that's been another priority for us. Returning to shareholders, our, you know, our dividend has become very sizable, largest in the group. And then, um, and then stock repurchases which are very accretive to the existing shareholders. This year so far, uh, we've acquired almost $700 million, or repurchased almost $700 million of stock, um, you know, generating so much of that out of cash flow, just showing you how significant um, the cash flow is in, in, in our business, in this business. You mentioned earlier in the opening uh, about good habits and bad habits. Uh, you and I have been in and around this business for a while now. Uh, watch just how tempting it is to you know, as he mentioned, you know, the, the automakers want those cars out of the gates. Right. Right. They can book them. Um, how do you guys see this? How's it affecting your business? You talk to every automaker. Um, you know, it's improving a little bit. Production is starting to improve over the last couple of quarters. But how do you feel, and where do you see it going? Well, you know, I think I think it's exactly right. I mean, I, you know, again, the the trip shortage has just been a blessing for our industry in terms of what we've been able to do from a profitability perspective. Um, and, and that, you know, you hear all the manufacturers say that they're learning lessons as well. It's not just dealers making more money. The manufacturers don't have to, you know, provide the same incentives, so they're making more money. And you hear them saying that, well, we, what we're learning is that a disciplined inventory approach makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, um, but out of the other side of their mouth, they're saying they need more production. So, and then, on the, and they probably do need more production. I don't know if they need production where it was, you know, four or five years ago. But, um, but you know, it depends. It, on market share, I mean, you know, we've seen you know, over the course of cycles, you know, if one brand is at the top and another is just below it, then you, you start to get pushed inventory so that their market share goes to the number one versus number two. And that chasing market share has always um, created bad, um, bad practices on the part of the OEMs and certainly hopeful that um, they can, uh, you know, that they keep disciplined in the inventory as, as we move out of this. Sure. It'd be a great scenario for all of us in the room and for, and for them as well. So can you, you know, off the top of your head, are there brands where you're desperate for more allocation and others where we're actually feeling pretty comfortable and, you know, build orders working? So, yeah, I mean, if you look at where the inventory is today in the U.S., I think we're about 32% below what the five-year historical 
day's average would be. So um, that, and if you look among the different brands, um, the domestic brands are doing the best. They're at about a 50 day supply out of a 60 day historical average. Um, the tightest brands by far are the Japanese brands for us and for everybody. It's the Toyota, Honda, and Hyundai are, um, and you know, Korean are, um, are, uh, are, you know, are, are the tightest. And I think the, the German brands in the, are, you know, we're seeing some improvement there. And I think that they're probably um, where we're seeing the most improvement. So I think if you really, you know, are, are dangerously tight, it probably is in the Asian brands. So with the changes in inventory, changes in shopping behavior, what patterns are you guys noticing? And in, you know, what, what, what iterations or, or changes to your own business have you made based on those shopping behaviors? Yeah, well, what you see, I mean, as we all know, it used to be um, that you could go in to a dealer and buy it off the car, actually. I'm old enough to know that you used to have to go in and order a car, and so it's a little bit of a return um, to, uh, uh, back to those types of practices. So it's, um, so yeah, you can't, because of that, you know, customers are either um, building a car and ordering a car to, to, to suit and, you know, ordering a car, or they're looking at what the pipeline is, is that we have in, and, and they're buying through that pipeline. Um, that, that's a terrific, um, a terrific scenario for us to be in. I mean, I think in the East region, I just heard, we have 5,000 um, pre-sold orders right now, and in the UK, we have 32,000, 32,000 orders in the UK right now. And so um, those are, uh, those are that, that's a good situation to be in. The truck shows up and virtually they're sold. Uh, you know, and what, does that continue or not? Uh, I don't know. Again, it really depends on what happens from an inventory perspective because I think if we're flooded with inventory, again, customers will be buying off the lot and those prices will go by the, by the wayside. Okay, so um, you're very good at answering these questions, by the way. Yeah. I like this <laughs> format. Let's talk about new cars for a minute. Um, average new car prices are creeping extremely high. Um, you know, inflation is uh, crushing the market. You got interest rates going up, but stick with new cars first. How are you feeling that through your organization with you know average prices uh, being so high? Yeah, I think for us, I think the average industry price right now is forty-five thousand. I think it's fifty thousand for us because it's slanted towards premium, which is, which yes, is expensive. I think it's a really interesting dynamic that maybe we've never seen in this industry before. Um, you you have um, prices going up. I think the average APR right now is five and a half percent versus three point eight percent last year, and the average price is about one hundred two percent of MSRP. So you have high prices. You have high monthly payments, high interest rates, um, but what you have is um, you have a SAR, which is at 13.5 million units roughly, um, which is low, um, not as low as this, the, you know, the previous corrections that we've had, but it's very low and very close to that, and the lowest we've ever had going into a correction period. And then you have consumer confidence, which is fallen, but hasn't fallen as much as we've seen in previous corrections. So. Um, the dynamic that I find so interesting is um, with all that pent-up demand, I think we lost four to five million units of chip production in the United States um, uh, because of the uh, car production in the United States because of chips. But, um, the, you know, with all that pent-up demand and then, you know, with where the production levels are, as we fall into a recession, it probably at a minimum mitigates the recession for the industry in a manner that I don't think we've ever seen. just make more money. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. But, but it gets to a point, you know. I mean, you know, right now I think the um, average um, loan payment is $700. That's up $80 a month. I mean, it, it'll get to a point where demand will be inhibited for sure. And so I don't mean to say that we, gotta, we, we should let our disciplines go. We have to be very focused on costs. Um, but it is... Um, but, you know, it is a better position to be in than we've ever been in before going into a correction, in my view. 
definitely in this industry. And Automotive News was actually in Paris for the show last week. Um, and they were saying the same thing. They're yeah. fully in a recession, but there's two years of demand. Yeah, exactly. Uh, pulling everybody through. Exactly. Um, so then on the leasing side, same story? Yeah, I mean, leasing, same story. I mean, leasing is, uh, for us, it's particularly hard because, um, you know, on the premium side, leasing is so, so, has historically been such a greater mechanism for financing cars. I think, um, I think we're at about 18 to 20 percent in the industry, down from about 30 percent a year ago, so that's a substantial hit. The biggest impact of leasing, though, is the impact on used cars. I mean, imagine that you've lost that entire turn of that vehicle and your ability to get that car off lease and sell it as a used car. And so, you know, when you, you talk about not wanting to buy from an auction because of, you know, the, you can't get a reasonable, reasonable return, we've lost the ability in a meaningful way to uh, purchase um, cars that are coming off, off lease. So <laughs> it's, it's, it has an impact for sure. Hopefully that returns. Rob Kernick is president of Penske Automotive Group. He spoke with Automotive News publisher Casey Crane at our retail forum in Chicago last week. If you missed that event, you can still get on-demand access at autonews.com under the Events and Awards tab on our homepage. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on quarterly earnings, October sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with the Vice President for Global Policy and Public Affairs at Circular about how new technology can precisely track emissions, prevent exploitative mining practices, and help automakers prove they meet the Inflation Reduction Act's requirements. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.